Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we are going to do a kind of controversial one. Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, well, or, for some. Depends on some your will be circle. Like, yeah. All right. So we're going to, we're still doing the systematic theology. We've been dealing briefly with the role of women. And one thing that we need to talk about would be that uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 11 on head coverings. So this is just a side topic, but it really deals with the women in church. Um, and so it properly belongs to systematic theology. Uh, so that's why we're dealing with it. Most of the time, people just, yeah, it's cultural and, right. and they yep. ignore it. Um, now, some of you who are listening may have attended a church where it's mandatory for women to have some sort of covering. Did you ever? Mm-hmm. See, I did. You're Plymouth brother, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they, they wore hats. The women all did. It was like death knell as a five-year-old. I still remember mom in the hat store. I didn't know a store could just do one thing like hats. And she would take me there, and she's like, so what do you think of this one? It's great, Mom. Great. Just get me out of this. <laughs> the only thing worse than that was fabric shopping with my mom. It was just like, <sighs> anyhow, mm-hmm. I grew up that way, and some of the others here, or maybe you're a listener, and this is a conviction of yours. So, uh, Or you're listening, and you've never even heard of it. Yeah, yeah, and then... That means you're not reading your Bible because it's right there in First Corinthians 11. It's dealt with. Uh, so the Mennonite church, you're going to find the women wearing them, uh, the Plymouth Brethren, some Baptists. Um, I don't know if there's others, at least in the American world. I'm sure there is, though. So. Um, Maybe some charismatic churches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I know for a fact there's one here in Kenosha that Living does. Light? I think so. I think they, or yeah. at least encourage it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So in many other cultures, though, it's very common. Uh, when you go into Asian, African, and Middle Eastern ch- uh, countries, you're going to find that. So um, it is an issue. So we want to just work through the passage with you all. And what we really want to do is let you see what the point and purpose of chapter 11 is. And in doing so, we can hopefully answer questions that you may have had but never bothered to ask. So I'm going to read the key passage uh, because it's long, and I'll just turn it over to Matt Miller, and together we'll work through the passage. Um, What I'd encourage you to do before you turn us off right now, if you don't care about this topic, is uh, see this episode really as having two uh, two goals in mind. The first is just take the time to work through a text that many will talk about or know about but have never really studied. Uh, But the second one is just see this as an exercise of hermeneutics. What we want to try to do is model for you how we think is a wise way to approach the Scripture. So, with that in mind, what is the purpose and meaning of head coverings in 1 Corinthians 11? And I'll read it. It's verses 1 through 16. Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. 
Now I praise you because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Okay, so obviously the issue here is one of head coverings for women in the church. And like many passages, there's various issues on how to handle this. Uh, and so there are three main uh, positions on this. Um, first of all, some will say that uh, when it comes to head coverings, it is cultural and therefore non-binding. Uh, the second one is that it is non-cultural uh, and therefore it is binding. Uh, and then the third one is that it is a cultural issue, um, but the intention behind it is not cultural, and so therefore it is binding. Um, so the intention is binding, right? Yeah, uh, the principle behind it, I guess, right? Yeah, that'd be a better way to say it. So, so one point to make clear is that this is not for wives uh, only, um, which would go contrary to sort of what the ESV uh, translation states. Uh, rather. Here, uh, it is women in general within the church. That one annoys me because when they made that translation decision. That was interpretation. Yeah. Translation. And it's like, well, so being an extremely popular uh, translation, you know, you're the pastor and you have to say, well, actually. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like you're denigrating the word. Yeah, undermining. It's like, not helping. Yeah. So the term that's used there uh, for woman uh, it's a very broad word. We've talked about that word yeah. many times, uh, and it is a word in the in the original that can that is used in reference to wives, but also women in general, broad terms. Uh, so the broadness of the passage here in First Corinthians eleven, we would say, does not lend itself to only wives, uh, nor does that help solve the root issue. And we'll deal with a few key terms here and then go through the text. So first of all, what is meant by covering? Well, some will make that to be in reference to hair, 
uh, due to, to the discussion of shaving the head that you see there in verse 5. That's what MacArthur does. That's his position. Mm -hmm. um, but Paul is saying that the uncovered head is just like a woman with a shaved head. Um, and so it's better to see it as a covering for the head and not the kind that you see in many, uh, for example, like Muslim countries today. Uh, rather, here would be more like a shawl. Uh, and so in verse 15, um, also it seems to contradict that position. Um, so here the hair is given as a, as a covering. Uh, however, first, it is not the same word. And second, it is speaking of hair as being a type of covering for a woman, uh, emphasizing that her hair is the point of glory uh, or a badge of womanhood. Um, so Dr. Schreiner, uh, he makes one thing clear that is quite helpful. He says the precise kind of head covering that Paul had in mind is no longer clear. <laughs> That's a, it, it is important. <laughs> um, that, and that is a key concession because uh as you know, we're left with a whole passage that's dealing with a specific practice, and yet we can't really know precisely what is meant by the core item there of, of head covering. Yeah. Can't be definitive right. about that. Um, so that leaves us right away with some things to consider. So some questions. Is the head covering the actual point? Is the type of head covering critical? Uh, why is this only mentioned here in the letter of Corinthians? Uh, and how can we expect obedience or to obey something that we don't really even fully understand. Um, so our position on this is simple. Uh, the point of the passage is not actually about head coverings. Rather, the, the underlying point is about authority or headship. In Corinth, this was manifested in the wearing of head coverings for women, but that is only the presenting issue, not the real issue. Uh, so it'd be like that third position. Yeah. Right? The principle yeah. behind it is what's important, how it works itself out, in some cases is culturally defined here head coverings so the, the point is to obey not the external aspect of the covering but rather the issue here is the hard attitude of headship and submission and each culture again has its own way that that is expressed which again though gets into the whole debate we have going on in the egalitarian complementarian but but now with the heavy cultural influence of patriarchy and how it's evil and blah 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 you can you can see Right. Again, this is an age-old battle of where the two genders fit and how does God intend them to function. But anyhow, uh, that was the first question of what, what is meant by the term covering. Uh, the second question we want to ask is what is meant by head? Uh, much is written on this from an egalitarian position. We've already talked about that in past episodes. But all of it seeks to diminish its importance by weakening its sense. Its meaning really is simple and straightforward, however. It means a position of authority and responsibility, often due to being the first. If you want to see an exhaustive study of this, we will refer you to an article written by Dr. Wayne Grudem on the term kephale, right? Um, where he researched 2,336 examples of that term in Greek literature. I would just commit suicide. <laughs> just like, kill me now. Um, no, I'm not advocating suicide, by the way, people. Um, but the results actually are rather obvious in its emphasis uh, that it's on headship and authority. So just... Uh, study, look up head coverings in Grudem, or a head, headship in Grudem, and you can find that uh, study. Um, it's, it's throughout the internet. 
But here's a broad sampling of what was said when the word kephale was used in the various writings, including the Bible. Um, it, it talks of husband being the head of wife, um, God as the head of Christ, Christ as the head of every man, church leaders as the head of church, uh, a woman head of her maidservant, Christ head of the church, Adam head of human race, elders head of Israel, Esau the head of his clan. So this is just a quick uh, survey, but none of those you're going to say, well, he's the source or the the yeah, the fountainhead from which these things spring. It's it's emphasizing authority and position, not just simply some vague, origins. weak yeah. origins. Yeah. yeah, good word. Um, so, so then next, what does the word nature mean in verse 14? Uh, he says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Uh, there's the idea there that the way men and women were created uh, indicated that the man should have short hair while the female should have long hair. Uh, others have tried to say that the the nature there is better translated uh, like this in verse 14. Does not the nature of things teach you or your fill in the blank? <laughs> right. Uh, meaning that the, the, the customs of their day showed them that uh, the, the same things that Paul was trying to teach. Um, Meaning like what, what you Corinthians do, yeah. the nature of how you go about life or something. Um, but this word really refers to the instinctive sense of rightness that is built into the people. Uh, it's used in other passages to refer, for example, to ethnicity. Um, so your Jews by nature can refer to the essence of something. Uh, so like idols whose nature is not God. Uh, and also can talk about sexual differences. So in Romans 1, uh, it's used to refer to men and women lusting after those of the same gender. And the condemnation is that it is unnatural. Right. It's against nature itself. Right. Yeah. Um, so so with, with that in mind, the point is simple. Paul is saying that the, the natural instincts of people show that they are to be faithful to those things that display their own gender. Uh, that, that is the point. In fact, there, there's a basic internal dislike when we see these violated. Um, for example, men should not act like a woman, and a woman should not act like a man. Even though our culture is desperately That's what makes this, trying to this so hard it. right now. Yeah. Right? I mean, Paul's talking about it, and to the recipients of this, it'd be kind of like, well, yeah. But and, it's so confused in our world right now. So, well, And it was very much confused in Corinth. Corinth is mm -hmm. such a screwed up city, and we've become Corinthianized. Um, as a as a nation, right? Um, so, I mean, the most basic thing, like what is a man and woman? I, I told you off mic how Chicago public schools have just announced that all of their school uh, school bathrooms are now for both students and staff are now uh, whatever gender you wish to see yourself as, you can use that bathroom. Um, nothing bad will happen, I'm sure. Um, but. You know, that's such a basic, basic thing, and we can't even in our nation get that figured out. It's, we're, we're literally fighting against nature. Anyhow. Well, yeah. And so we will say, you know, what is seen as feminine or masculine, we, we agree that that can vary in many ways uh, in various cultures. Um but not in terms of the broad categories. No. Right? It's funny because you go into an African, most African cultures I've been, and I can't say 
across the board. But um, remember, we were talking to our friend Demeke. I don't know if you were with me or if it was uh, my wife, but um, I was asking them how they made um, injera, their bread. And because uh, I was very intrigued by the whole process. And he's explained how it's done, but he's talking very theoretically. Uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, could I watch it get made sometime? And he's like, well, sure, but I'd have to go with his wife and watch her do it, and it's a process. And I, I just told him how I was very intrigued by it. So I said, so does every, I mean, is this just taught to every girl? And he looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> He's like, if she wants to marry. <laughs> because everyone, I mean, that is like, you eat that in Jira, breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Um, and so it's like, that is a role that's reserved for the women. The women, that's, uh, men can learn if they're, if they're left on their own, they can make it, but it's never good. Um, but that's just, that's actually in that culture, that pertains to a woman. Yeah, and yet... In, in our Western superiority, how many would look at that and view it as that's oppressive? Yeah, and right? yet the woman, his wife, is laughing as he's explaining this. <laughs> yeah. and, and again, she's saying that's so self-evident. In other words, it's come by on, nature. It's, it's yeah. by nature. Come yeah. on. And <laughs> a very, I, I just find it very interesting. So the different cultures, your point is uh, we can have women here and they can wear – uh, pants, and and we don't say they're going against nature. Where, but in other cultures, they would say, no, that's not fit for yeah. a woman. They should be wearing. This. Or some men can wear kilts. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. But are you doing unbelievably masculine things wearing those kilts? Yeah, as you kill people <laughs> um, with your sword. Anyhow, yeah. freedom. Um, okay. So now, with those terms in, in mind, we can begin to look at the message um, of the passage. The issue is critical here. The issue is not about head coverings. The issue is actually headship, and that's uh, developed for us in verse 3. And, and it has it's something that you have to uh, not miss. If you diagram out the passage, everything that follows verse 3 is subordinate to it. So three times there he uses the word kephale in the verse. And it, it is his sincere desire for them to know or grasp or understand headship, not head coverings. Uh, so the passage is not really about head coverings, but headship. Paul is establishing an order of relationships here. However, this is not speaking of inherent inferiority, but rather it's speaking of position or ranking. In fact, by Paul putting the last clause in verse 3, he shows that the reader should not take the first two statements as statements of inferiority and, and superiority. Let me quickly read verse 3 again. Um, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So that last phrase there, God is the head of Christ. We know that he's not superior over Christ. So it's not talking about superiority. It's just talking about order and yeah. ranking, if you will. Um, and that's hard for us to make that distinction. So he's establishing an order of relationships here. Um, again, the point is not to be missed. Paul is now getting ready to talk about head coverings, but that is not the point of the passage. All the talk about head coverings is designed to illustrate a right understanding of headship. 
That This is why in verse 4 he says, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Men praying or prophesying with the wrong symbol uh, is what he's talking about. So why does Paul react that way? Because this was what the women were there wore. Therefore, for a man to have his head covered while praying to God was acting like a woman should act. Along these same lines, notice that he says if a man were to do it, he would disgrace his head. What head? His physical, actual head? No. He would bring dishonor to God, who in verse 3 is his head. This again is restated in verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. So it's, it's all about this headship. I hope that we're making that clear. Yeah. Uh, then in verses five through six, we see that women there are rejecting that symbol uh, or their symbol while praying or prophesying. So in, uh, I'll just read it again in verses five through six, he says, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. I, I, I may be wrong, but I believe also that the temple prostitutes uh, in Corinth, uh, one of the ways that you could identify a woman who is a temple prostitute for purpose of worship, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, was the shaved head. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's taken, again, an extreme example of, look, you know, this is a woman who literally uses her body as as a means for a man to go, or even a woman to go and worship um, in these pagan temples. But that's an aside. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he he then makes the opposite point here with the female. Uh, if she was going to pray with her head uncovered, then she might as well shave her head, as Paul says. <laughs> uh, she she was already in rebellion against what she knew was right. In fact, uh, that very ending of verse six there, he says, but but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair, I believe that's uh, first class conditional. Mm-hmm. In other words, since it is disgraceful, yeah. it's just presumed by nature, that's not what you do. Right? And so he just says, if you pray here without a head covering on, you're functioning in, the, in what you understand or know to be. Right. And he's talking to the Corinthian church who culturally would understand what he's getting mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. because th- that's the world they live in. Yes, exactly. Just yeah. like I would say, since, you know, it's discre- if a woman is not going to make injera for her husband, she might as well just, you know, I don't know, do something. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that good it, it's like, clarification. Yeah. Duh. And, and yet every American say, what's injera? And miss a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so then in, in verses uh, 14 and 15 show that there that the hair of the woman is something that actually, uh, something pr- it's, pr- it's prized by her. Um, much more than a, a man would prize his hair. Uh, so to, to say what Paul just said in verse five, this would have, I mean, that would shock the people. It would, it would yeah. cause them to think, because again, in that culture, this is the accepted norm. Uh, so rationale then in, uh, for men not covering their head while women covered theirs, we see that in verses seven through nine. Uh, the word glory um, here should be understood to mean honor. Um, the man was designed to be the glory of God. Uh, he was created, uh, we see that in verse 9, for the sake of God, to do his will, to honor him, to be 
his emissary, if you will, to creation. And the woman then was created out of the man for the purpose of being man's helper. Uh, it, it does not mean that she does not glorify God, but but the way that she honors God is by showing honor to the man. Uh, Boy, again, counterculture to our society, though. Yeah. I, I'm doing premarital, and I just emphasize that to the young lady of, look, um, the command Paul gives is not love your husband, but respect your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, and every man knows when his wife is disrespecting him. And the women oftentimes say, I don't think I'm being disrespectful. He's like, you are. <laughs> um, and yet the same way, a woman knows when she's not being loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a command given to a, a man. Mm-hmm. Love your wife. You mm-hmm. know that. You do premarital too, anyhow. Um, so, yeah, th- that's what's going on here. Uh, in the home, uh, who would that be? That would be the father or the husband. Uh, in the church, this would be the men. Okay, so now we have an initial conclusion in verse 10 by Paul. He, he says, therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now he drags angels into it. Um, notice that none of this is complex, actually, though, for us to follow. Um, we're not in the weeds wrestling with deep ethereal subjects. Uh, we're really just taking the text as it's written and showing the logic and the flow. So don't confuse strange-sounding things as difficult things, if that makes sense. Do you think that makes sense? I think so. Um, We know it sounds strange to probably many of you, but that doesn't make it difficult. They're not the same thing. Um, So with that in mind, what Paul now concludes is to resist the roles that God has ordained. And not that it's not so much the head covering. It's when you are fighting against the roles God has established, um, it's offensive, to the senses of the angels. They're like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. So a woman who is actively resisting her call by God is not simply trying to be a free thinker. She's actually causing even angels to be offended. For the Corinthian women, this covering of their head was a proper way that a woman should be attired. I'm, I'm actually, my mind just went to what we said the last episode about the synecdoche of First uh, Timothy two, where and she will be preserved or saved through childbirth. How and and our point was uh, when the women embrace their calling or role, um, and and childbirth is that thing that's unique only to women. Um, that they they bring honor, um, and and God preserves them in, in that. Um, it's again, it's that not trying to push away from what God has made me to be, but embracing it. Yeah. I hope I'm making no, sense. Yeah. And then also uh, remember, uh, and I know we've talked about this quite a bit, but uh, what God is doing in redemptive history is he's putting things on display yeah, for yeah. that angelic order, right? Yeah. And and it's, I know you've used this in your Ephesians series, but it's that unfolding of that divine drama. Yeah. And so he's, he's displaying his redemptive work and putting it on display for this class of creature called angels. They're just sort of watching this theater go on. And so the church then is God's creation of, it's his redeemed people. And so he wants them to act in an appropriate redeemed way as they're displaying his grace through them to these angels who are watching this whole thing unfold. Yeah. So when we act contrary to that, we, we dishonor God. We don't bring glory to him. Right. Boy, I just want to go off on that, but I won't. Um, Now, at the same time, however, Paul then has to caution men 
against a wrong conclusion regarding their headship. And you can again see the weakness of Corinthian, the Corinthian people is the women are fighting against their roles and the men are fighting against theirs. Uh, men are going to say, yeah, see, so shut up. <laughs> huh. um, so he, he wants to deal with that as well. So in verses 11 and 12, he says, however, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originates from God, um, which is, again, a subtle concept of headship, that everything ultimately is flowing from God. So Paul anticipates that men are starting now to nudge their wife and, and think in their mind, see, I knew I was superior. <laughs> and so Paul now adds this strong reminder and caution against arrogance and foolish thinking. No man except for Adam existed without a mother, including Christ. Just think about that. Even our Lord had a mother. Um, just because a woman has a different role does not mean that they have a different value or different essence. Male and female are equal in Christ, even though they have different roles and responsibilities. Yeah. Then in verses 13 through 15, here you have an appeal to intrinsic gender differences uh, as sort of additional proof. So the very nature of, of men and women is such that they instinctively want to be faithful to what makes their gender unique. Again, there you see all the confusion happening today, huh? Uh, for a woman to act or dress like a man is nothing less than a point of shame for her. Uh, women ought not to seek to be as, as tough as a man, talk like a man, uh, think like a man, and the same would go for a man. Uh, men need to be men and not apologize for it, and both men and women need to learn to honor the other sex or gender. Yeah, and that's something you, I know you're doing with your children, and that's something we worked hard with ours. You know, my son would just be confused and frustrated with the girls, um, but he would always be disciplined whenever he mocked his sisters for being girls. Uh, but we would also have to deal severely with the daughters. Uh, he had three sisters, and th because they would get so frustrated with him, um, I you know because he's belching his ABCs or something, mm -hmm. you know, typical. Um, and that, but they're frustrated with him because he's acting like a a man. And it's like no, um, you honor each other in that. And that was that, that took a lot of work for them to learn. Anyhow. Let's, let's bring this all to, to a conclusion then. The symbol of head covering is optional, we would argue, but the principle behind it is not optional. And so what we would say to you is that men and women need to actively think about their roles in church, how they come across and what attitude they display. Men should not be seeking to take oversight and responsibility, our men should be seeking to take oversight, responsibility. They need to be setting the standard to be leaders. Women need to seek to show a gentle, submissive attitude, not seeking to get around the men, but rather show proper respect to their responsibility. And so this basically concludes our, our brief discussion on the role of women in the church. And, and we actually hope that it was helpful uh, for you to begin to think more fully on it. It is a divisive issue today uh, in many places because the church drinks from the fountain of this age rather than from the scripture. And so in an age of outrage and rebellion, many in the church join in the chorus of complaints. But we actually ought not to be that way. 
We live differently and with different authority. But as long as men and women keep pushing to conform Christ's church to the spirit of this age, we have to push back. But the instrument in which we do that must be the Word of God. So we ask you, give us some thought. Don't discard anything out of a reaction. Just keep on listening. Uh, We have one more episode, I think, on ecclesiology, and then we begin to go into eschatology, which I'm actually quite excited for. So until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the role of women in the church, uh, specifically head coverings if you want. But don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. (music) 